Life Audio. Welcome to the March or Die show today. Very glad to have you joining me. And today's episode is going to be a little bit different than typical. Typically, of course, and if you listen to this podcast, you know this, we talk about principles for moving forward and have interviews with guests who uh, share their life stories and their struggles and principles they've used to move forward in their lives, understanding that we can stay where we are and die. We can kick it into neutral. We can stay there. Or better yet, in spite of the trials, the traumas, the difficulties, we can move forward. And that is typically what we talk about. Today, a little bit of a different episode. Uh, several months ago, I had on a guest, Joshua Cohen. Josh is a journalist, does a lot of different things. But he is the host of a podcast called Eyewitness History. Had a great conversation. We've gotten to know each other uh, over the last several months. And today, this episode is a conversation that we had about podcasting. Now, that doesn't sound that exciting, right? Uh, but really, it's a conversation about why we do this, why this is important to us, the process that we go through, how we do our best, at least, to interview those that come on and talk to us, what we're trying to get at. Uh, it was a really enjoyable conversation for me, something I thought was helpful personally, just to be able to have that conversation with someone who is in this space doing this work. But I thought it might also be helpful for you, uh, at least, hopefully, interesting. Why do we do this? Why is it important that we do the work that produces the podcast that you listen to? What is the process that we go through? How does all of this come together? And why does it matter? It's a great conversation and uh, really excited to share this with you again. A little bit different than normal, but I hope that it will be interesting to you and maybe even will give you some things that you can hang on to that can be a help to you as well as you have conversations with other people in your life. So without further ado, my conversation with today's guest, Joshua Cohen. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Josh Cohen, what's up, man? How are you doing? Jeremy Stallnecker. I'm doing very well, man. How are you doing? Doing really good. It's good to talk again. It's been, uh, man, it's been a while since we've been able to sit down and talk. It's been some time. I think, uh, I think the interview we did was, if I'm not mistaken, I think mid late November. So it's been more than half a year. <laughs> so we, uh, we've been talking and this is a little bit different. I think for both of us, probably this, this particular episode or this particular podcast, just wanted to talk about podcasting and why we do it and, and why it's important. And I know both of us have audiences, hopefully growing audiences. We'll, <laughs> we'll see, but hopefully growing audiences. <laughs> That, uh, that care about what we're doing, but thought it'd be cool just for the two of us to sit down and talk about why for a minute. So yeah, this is, uh, this is cool. It's a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. We'll get into the why. Why the heck do we decide to do we do what we do and go through the pain of researching something and coming up with just the, the perfect question to elicit just the perfect answer? <laughs> so, okay. So what is. I use a really, uh, really canned question. What is your why? Why do mm -hmm. you do this? I know your history a little bit, your background, and I would encourage, you know, my, my listeners for sure to go back and listen to the March or Die episode that we did. But 
why do you do it? I, I think people think it's really easy, right? They think, well, it's like you sit down, you talk for a few minutes, you make a lot of money. It's really easy. There's something like two, <laughs> two or three ain't bad. <laughs> yeah. There's something like two million podcasts or something. I, I heard the other day the average podcast has, I think, four episodes in his life or something like that because it's just, it's hard, right? So you have to have a good why. So why, why do you do this? Why do you care about this? Well, uh, first off, Jeremy, it's interesting. Uh, I read a similar thing, something like most, uh, if you have a podcast that lasts longer than a year, then you're in something like the top 10 percentile of podcasts. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. So why do I do it? Well, in our last episode, which I'd encourage all of my eyewitness history listeners to, to go listen to as well, we talked about the importance of history and the importance of telling stories, right? And it's so important, and I, I I hate to dwell on it yet again, but all the stories of our of our history from you know World War II to apartheid to nine eleven, etc. I could go on. Incredibly important to I think how we traffic in the world, and certainly the awareness that we carry around in our brains as we do traffic in the world, right? So so my why is being able to showcase incredible stories with even more incredible people i apologize to you know return a canned question with a canned answer <laughs> but um if it's the truth it's the truth right and what do you hope to gain when you when you have someone you tell these incredible stories uh you do a lot of research it's obviously a lot of work what yeah. do you hope not 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 that you will gain but if if someone in your audience could walk away with a thing like this is the win for me they walk away with this, yeah what would that be for you well, the win, uh, uh, what immediately occurs to me, Jeremy, as you ask me, is um, there hasn't been a, I don't think a single person I've ever interviewed where I haven't wanted to ask that person a question and wish that it was answered by other interviewers or asked by other interviewers that they haven't, as far as I'm aware, yet been asked, right? Just to give you one, one point of contact, which might be a bit, a bit frivolous, but uh, I'll, I'll get on with it. I recently did an interview with a fellow by the name of Jim Lampley, who will probably be known to some of our mutual audience as uh, the voice of HBO Boxing when it was on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we we talked briefly uh, in our last interview, Jeremy, about what boxing has meant to me and what boxing has done for me. And so it was it was an immense privilege and pleasure to be able to interview him. I will grant you it's not a 9-11 survivor, World War II veteran, and so forth, but that, that didn't lessen my my joy and my honor. Finally, to answer your your question, in that particular instance, I had always wanted to ask him, "Hey, Jim, do you ever get nervous before the camera starts rolling? Because you know you're 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 doing the sound off and commentary for, in, in many cases, millions of people live at once." Yeah. And I finally got my answer. And in case you're curious, he said he's never ever been nervous, no and it always strikes him. Yeah, and it's always strikes him has struck him that he never did get nervous. He thought it was an odd, and I referenced another interview I did with another commentator named Steve Farhood, who, if I'm quoting him correctly, Steve Farhood told me last year that uh, when he was waiting for the camera to start rolling, his heart was beating so fast he was afraid the microphone would pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Lampley stops me and says, isn't that the more like human, logical response? Right. And I said, it, it would be to me, right? Yeah, but, sure would be. <laughs> and I know that's kind of frivolous there, but... That was a question I wanted to know the answer to. And maybe I'm super special. I don't know. But I'll bet if I wanted to know the answer, I'll bet I'm not alone. Right. So that's the, the, the general takeaway that I, I feel like I really did my job. If, if, uh, if I can throw something at my interviewee that they may not have heard before, they hear it in a different way. Yeah. That's great. I've had people over time say, Hey, I love that interview you did with whoever. Because you ask things that I've never heard anyone ask them before, or yeah. ask things I was thinking while you were talking, and it's funny. I feel like a really like simple guy, right? Like I'm not super complex. I don't have these these super <laughs> deep thoughts. And it's funny because I think a lot of interviewers they they get someone on they want to interview. Obviously, they want to interview them, so they schedule them. But they feel like they have to go so deep or be real, yeah, like unique or cute or something, and. Really, I just have questions like, why did you do that? Or when did that happen? Or what made you do that? Or why do you think that way? And I, I really feel like that's what most people want to know when they hear someone interviewed. Like, why are, why are they that way? <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it's a different approach than a lot of people take. 
No, absolutely. And I, I completely agree with you, Jeremy. There's the impulse to, there's a bunch of stuff kind of going on in the, in the interviewer's mind with that, right? Cause number one, you want to prop up your question, like, like, you know, this is why I want to ask that. But you also, this is something that, that I'm, I don't even know if it guilty is the right word. Cause I don't know if it's really a bad thing, but in some way you want to signal to your interviewee and to your audience that you, that you have, taking it seriously enough to do the work to research yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I think the net effect of that when it comes to the question is the question sometimes can can go on and on and on and on like a bad movie, right? Yeah, yeah. So in my opinion, I think the the balancing act that you and I play as interviewers is to hit the chord where you do signal how serious you're, you're taking it, but you also make sure there's a question mark at the end. Make sure your interviewer, interviewee rather, uh, doesn't get bored. Because if the interviewee's bored, there's no way the audience won't be. <laughs> and, and, and you know, that, that it's not overly intellectual. Because at the end of the day, you're basically just, uh, you know, just asking the question, you know, what did that feel like or what was that like, etc. At the end of the day, they can all be boiled down to questions like that, right? I feel like a good interview, too, and this is what I go for, is is when you're serving as an interviewer, you're serving as the bridge between the person you're talking to and the audience. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we almost demystify people, right? I, I want to find points of connection with the people that I'm interviewing that are helpful to me. Like, okay. Oh, I, I feel that way too. Or I have those same thoughts or I, I've, I've wondered that as well. And, and now we're talking about that. And so you have an audience of people that are listening and they can, they can find themselves in the conversation. They can find themselves in the answer. And it, it takes so much pressure off of us when we realize like, Oh, I, I know that guy from TV or I've heard that guy on the radio or I've seen that guy somewhere else, but he's a lot like me. He struggles the same way I struggle. Huh. He thinks the same things I think. And, and he's trying to, to move forward just like I'm trying to move forward. And there, there's a lot of hope in that. If I can give someone hope in an interview, man, to me, that's, that's a win, right? Is, oh, they're just like me. Maybe not. Yeah. Ab- like me, but a lot like me. <laughs> No, no, they're, they're in fact, uh, human beings with uh, quirks and eccentricities. And, and, uh, yeah, I, uh, demystify is a perfect word for Jeremy because I, I've had that experience oftentimes myself. I, I had the, uh, the great pleasure of interviewing, uh, Michael Chertoff, mm. the former head of Homeland Security yeah. some months back. And it was a intense situation, at least for me. I felt, you know, pressure because like, here's, you know, a guy that was, you know, way up there, was way up there in government. And was controversial for reasons you can probably guess, the Patriot Act and so forth. And of course, Homeland Security isn't a name that one doesn't associate with controversy. Uh, um, and it was, it was a sort of thing that like, I'm, I'm on Zoom with, um, his, uh, head of, of public relations. And you know how, you know how like when you're watching a movie, you know, they're, they're all in the Oval Office waiting for the president and someone always will knock on the door, poke their head in and say, you know, the Eagles coming in five or, you know, the, the, the president incoming five minutes and then the, the, the base tension sort of rises. I had that exact experience happen. So his Michael Chertoff's assistant came onto the, the zoom and, and said, uh, uh, the secretary is five minutes incoming. <laughs> and I was, and I took a big deep breath, like, okay, you know, game time. <laughs> and then we got, but then we got to talking and you won't believe this. He was a human being. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hey, you know, how long have you been doing your podcast? Uh, oh, that's great. Oh, cool. You did, you know, so very friendly, I, I have to say. And I also going back to asking the quality question or, or trying to, uh, um, striving to, I also got my, my itch scratch regarding my question about, about the Patriot Act, which was basically something like, I didn't say, I didn't phrase it like this, but it was basically like, you know, what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and, yes. and I have to say, Jeremy, he gave me, not that I fully completely agree with it, but he gave me, I thought, a very honorable answer, and it made a lot of sense. He basically said that the what what we were striving for in the Patriot Act was basically what we were already doing for the last 20, 30 years with, like, you know, nar- narcotics dealers and drug kingpins and so forth, roving wiretaps and, and, and so on. And he said all, all we were arguing for in the Patriot Act was basically extending that to people that we suspected of terroristic activities. Like, well, I didn't... Uh, well, well, when you when you put it like that, it's it's a little difficult to argue. <laughs> well, it's funny, but you, uh, yeah, you talk history a lot, right? So 
Yeah. Um, I, I find that, that fascinating because when, you know, in this example, when the, the Patriot Act went forward, I, I don't know what the polling was, but there was polling, but it was hugely popular at the time. I mean, it's yeah. like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. This will keep this from happening again. So it's only in retrospect that we all hate it. And we, we feel like the government has overstepped and then it's been renewed and all of these things. So it's interesting when you're talking history because you're asking the person who was there, not why do people feel the way they do about it, but, but what was the actual reason it was happening? What was the mood at the time? And, uh, so much changes over time. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Never forget that about the Patriot by the way. Most people were, were all for it. It's, yeah. it's weird to think about now because now it's sort of regarded as, you know, the, the name is mud sort of thing. Yeah. But, uh, which by the way, irony abounds because now all of us carry a little device that literally has a tracking mechanism in it. So, (laughs) Patriot Act. Patriot Act. (laughs) But Uh, might be beside the point, but not a, not a small point. (laughs) I, uh, I had the opportunity recently to interview, I'm in Southern California, our sheriff, Sheriff Chad Bianco, who he's known nationally, but in California, he's known really well. For a lot of things. He takes a very hard, he's very conservative, takes a very hard stand on a lot of stuff. And he's been a great sheriff from my perspective. Some people love him. Some people hate him. But in California, he's like the antithesis of our politicians, right? So we have very liberal politicians. He's a very, very conservative sheriff in a very large county in California. 4,000 employees. He's got a huge budget. All this stuff, right? It took me like two months to set this interview up. And I thought it would be remote. But he said, hey, I want to come in and sit down with you. Well, he didn't say that. His assistant to his assistant said, said that. Hey, he's gonna, he's gonna come down. So I'm like, all right, the sheriff's gonna come. He's probably gonna come with a group of people, you know, and he's got all this stuff. And no kidding. He showed up by himself. He texted me, Hey, it's Chad Bianco. I'm here. Wow. All right. So we went up. We sat down. I was super nervous for a lot of, I don't, I don't know why. I mean, again, he's just a guy, but we had that conversation. He said, how long is this going to be? I said, about 30 minutes. He's like, all right, great. I've got a lot going on today. We ended up. The interview lasted over an hour. Um, oh, wow. And then after the interview, I thought he'd jump up and take off. And he just sat there and we just talked about just whatever. My son was there, so he, he wanted to talk to my son a little bit. But it's just the coolest thing. But but to your point, a guy who's got a million things going on, a lot of influence, you, you know, he could call his interview. I mean, anywhere he wanted to be interviewed, he would be, and he is. Yeah. It, but he's just just a guy who just wanted to sit and talk, and he talked about his family. <laughs> it was just it's the simplest <laughs> thing. But when you have these these really special interviews like that, I think it really you peel it back and like whatever people are doing, wherever they come from, they're just people, and they they I don't know they have the same probably insecurities we have, and the same mm-hmm. thoughts and the same feelings, and they just want to do a good job, <laughs> and they care deeply about what they care about, just like you and just like me. And uh, man, that's that's so helpful. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say I, I completely agree with you, and, and that was this is sort of leading into to a question I'd, I'd really love to ask you, Jeremy, if it's okay. Was uh, uh, recognizing that they were just just people, right? Yeah. Went a long way towards making me feel comfortable doing interviews. I mean, there there were times, man, that I, I think my first probably fifteen twenty interviews. So a lot, you know, I would I'd be a nervous wreck before the interviews, uh, just you know heart beating um uh, all that stuff and and they always in my view they always went great i'm not ashamed of any of them but uh, just just before and then i'd snap into it when they when they answered the phone call i did phone recorded phone interviews at that time so that went a long way to make me comfortable and also the emotional work labor that i put into it getting nervous and you know hyper focusing and taking it you know yeah, all, yeah. all that really really serious I'd be gone the rest of the day. Like if I, if I had a day I was doing an interview, I couldn't really do anything before or after. And now, like, you know, I consider this, I know this really isn't an interview proper, but I consider this something like that. And I have another interview I'm doing in a couple hours today. I have, I told you before we, we went on air here. I have two tomorrow and, you know, I'm able to do them. They're still tiring, but there was a time when the, the idea of stacking interviews throughout the day was just unthinkable. So I guess my question I'll throw out here for you, Jeremy, is, uh, when did you, get comfortable doing interviews i don't know if i've ever gotten comfortable (laughs) i'll tell you i've had so a lot of it for me depends on whether we do in-person interviews or doing you know virtual like this for some reason doing an in-person interview is a lot more comfortable for me i think because they're sitting there and you can oh i don't know i feel a lot of pressure doing not not with you but with 
you know, maybe people I don't know or whatever they're, they're popping on. I feel a lot of pressure. Like, okay, we've got a certain amount of time. I've got to hit it. If I get it wrong, then, you know, I'll never get it back or whatever. It's just, it's such a weird, this, this medium, I think is, is really weird. I, I mean, early on when we were doing not this show, I, the other show that I do, the situation report, it's a lot more like news and culture focused. So I had a lot of like news personalities and pundits and those kind of people that would come on. And there were times I'd be sitting there waiting for, their name to pop up on Zoom or whatever we were using. And that's what I was really nervous, right? Like you said, once you start talking, it's fine. But before that, it's it's that, oh, their name comes up. I mean, there are times I'm yep. sitting there thinking, I hope they don't show up. I hope they've got something yeah. else going on. I don't want to deal with this. And then you've got yep. like three of them lined up. And so when that guy's done, <laughs> then 10 minutes later, somebody else is, is, is jumping up. And I, I don't know what that is because I think it is once you get used to people like the real people, they're also tired. They probably also don't want to necessarily do this interview and yeah. they're hoping that you're not going to show up so they can go do something else. <laughs> but then you have a great conversation and you can almost feel it in, in their voice and certainly see it in their body language where they relax a little bit and you're able to relax and have a conversation. I, yeah. I think I've gotten over the, they're better than me kind of thought in my head for most people. Right. But yep. there's still but- that, that like, I want to do a good job and where I get nervous is when I want to impress them with what I'm doing. And and that's something I have to fight, right? Like, I don't know. I've interviewed a lot of people from the blaze because we just have a relationship with them. Oh, cool. So, like Stu Brigier will get on or, you know, Sarah Gonzalez or something like I respect them so much. That's when I start to get nervous because they're great interviewers and I don't want to look like not a great interviewer. Right. So that's when I get nervous, but I've done a lot better over here. I think it's just time and doing it a lot and, and getting used to it and getting good feedback from people. That helps an awful lot. That was not a good answer to your question, but yeah. it's just doing it helps you get past that. Honestly, it's the, it's an extension of the answer that I would give. Uh, I, I empathize with pretty much everything that you said, particularly the, yeah, the, uh, the, the interview is scheduled for 1 p.m. And of course, we're going to show up at 1255 because yeah. we're not schlubs, right? right? Uh, and there's that, there's that five minutes of, you know, you're, you always have sort of one eye to your inbox just in case there's an email from the person saying, Oh, bad, you know, time, which has happened to me. And there's always just a slight wave, very slight, not the dominating emotion, but there's always a slight wave of relief. Yep. Uh, so you realize, uh, episode now. <laughs> yeah yeah and then you're like oh okay well i mean we can you know reschedule or whatever but yeah and then as far as you know whether they want to do it or not i interviewed a while back i i had the pleasure of interviewing an author named paula tucker paula stone tucker who was actually an eyewitness at the kent state shootings yeah and so i interviewed her and by an amazing coincidence i, did, I swear on my life i did not plan this but it looks like i did which i'll i'll accept but it, I just happened to release it the week of the 53rd anniversary of, of Kent State. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I interviewed her the week prior and then I, I, I looked at the date as I was researching, you know, you know, prior to doing the interview and I, I realized the date overlapped. I was like, Oh, let's do that. But uh, before I hit record, I asked her, you know, if no questions, I'll go ahead and hit record. And, and she literally looked at me and said, I said, yeah, let's get this over with. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know what? I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I've had a few times uh, where it was like a, like a culturally relevant topic with someone that is in that space. Right. And so, yeah. Working with maybe whoever their booker is. So they said, Hey, can we come on your show? And then, you know, we have a producer. And so there's that relationship. So I'm kind of like one step removed, but then I'll do all the questions. I prepare all the interview questions and, you know, I get all that ready and I'll send it to them. I've had three or four times probably more than that, where someone will come on and they're like, hey, I don't want to talk about whatever I just sent to them, right? I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) Okay. You know, I I sent them five questions or 10 questions on a specific topic, but they hadn't really seen it until then for some reason. Like, yeah, I don't don't want to talk about this. I'm happy to do an interview, but I don't want to talk about this. (laughs) Oh, all right. I get nervous. So that's when I get really nervous. I've had that happen. I've had that happen. There was a time where if someone says, you know, I don't want to talk about like, you know, the questions you sent over, yeah. I, I would just be like, okay, I'm, I'm out. Like I'm, I'm nervous enough. No way. But I've gotten way better at, 
I'd love to, to chat about what I call the checklist mentality in a minute, if we may. But great. But there was one person I interviewed. I don't think I'll tell you the name. I think I'd love for our mutual audience to, to check out my podcast episodes and see if they can yeah. guess. But there was a, a person who I interviewed who I could not find any information on him, Jeremy. Yeah. I like in the age of information, you know, nothing. Google, yeah. YouTube, nothing, <laughs> nothing. I mean, it was, it was, it was wild. Why don't you um, have a Twitter I, account? Everybody has why a- don't you have a Twitter account? Why don't, and the crazy thing is, is he's in, uh, he had to do with 9-11. I'll, I'll, I'll drop that little hint. <laughs> and I had no questions because yeah. I, I couldn't, there's no info to draw off of. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, I set this as a challenge for myself. You know what? I'm not going to go in with any notes, any questions. I'm going to improvise. And, you know, we, we kept it going for an hour. So that's probably a success in, in itself that I didn't, I didn't run on dead air. But, but yeah, I did that interview and I, I won't, uh, you know, I won't say it was the best interview we've ever done because I like feeling prepared. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. So that we, we got through it. Did you have I'm something to ask you? What makes, yeah. So, okay. So we just talked about, you know, what makes a good interview or um, what, what we're trying to accomplish in a good interview. And then you have these weird ones. <laughs> what makes you walk away from an interview and go, all right, I'm never interviewing them again. Like it wasn't that you weren't prepared. It wasn't that the topic wasn't good, but you, you just like, okay, yeah. not the person to talk about this. What, what I, I know what my answer is. And I've been asked this a bunch of times, but <laughs> what's, what's your answer that you walk away from? You're like, yeah, never doing that one again. No chance. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the first thing that pops to my mind is probably the one I should answer with. And I'll, I'll tell you why. So I, I interviewed an author named Robert Hoffler. Now, just be clear. Nice guy. Yeah. You know, yeah, sure. He'd written a book. I'm looking at it right now called the way they were, you know, is, anyway, that, that was what he was there to promote. And it was about a, a very famous movie and the way it was made and some of the, you know, romances and drama that happened on set. I'm like, well, not quite eyewitness history, but maybe it's interesting. And he, you know, it's an episode in any case. And, uh, you know, who knows? And I, I wanted to talk about other stuff as well. Some of his other books, he'd written a book on uh, the Greenwich murders and he'd, he'd written a few other books as well. And, uh, if anything, I felt like I was doing him a favor, like, like here, you know, give, give you the, right. well, hey, give you the platform to, right, right. you can, you can, uh, you can, uh, do press for four of your books, not just one. And, uh, I asked him a question. I think it was about the Greenwich book. And he made a comment, something like, Oh, I, you know, like, I didn't know I'd be talking about this. Uh, 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 and then he, and then he went on to, and this is probably just me being grumpy, but it's definitely possible. But, uh, I had a question about a specific thing. And then he, before I got to that question, he started, up on another thing and then said, do you want me to explain it? And then, and, and then went on with it. And basically there was, there was just like a weird cross connect of, uh, yeah. of me wanting to ask a question, but him, you know, preempting the answer, but doing it in a weird way that didn't quite fit in with what, with what I had mapped out in my head. And yeah, you know, that, that, that might be the worst. I know, you know, cry for me, Argentina, right? What a hard life. <laughs> but, uh, but it, it did, it did strike a wrong chord with me. And, uh, actually, if I, if I may, Jeremy, I don't mean to take up all the, all the yeah, space yeah. here, but I, I have one more. I interviewed an FBI agent, Jeremy, who was a nice guy, had great stories, but, and we had exchanged emails, you know, for several months because, you know, he was sick and then I was sick and you know how that goes. And, uh, we, we hop on Zoom and before I hit record, he goes, so do I give you my Venmo now or later? <laughs> <laughs> And I, uh, at first I thought he was joking. I, I swear to God, I thought he was, he was joking and he was not. <laughs> he goes, well, you know, you know, I get paid, you know, X on consultation fees and, you know, this is kind of, you know, you know, and I don't mind that he asked for money because I've had people do that and that, you know, it's their prerogative. I, I, I really don't mind that. I'm a capitalist. Yeah. My, the, the issue I had was he waited through, you know, three months of, of email back and forth Never only to then jump on the call. Yeah. And I finally was like, as nicely as I could, but I probably couldn't hide the irritated tone that was creeping in because he, he was complaining about this, Jeremy, for like 15 minutes. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, we could have done a quarter of the interview by now. And, uh, and I'm finally like, you know, 
hey, no harm, no foul, no worries. It sounds like there was a miscommunication. Uh, but uh, I have no problem pulling the ripcord, and we, we, we'll just part trails as friends. No, and that's no problem. And then he, he said, well, you seem like a nice guy, so we'll, uh, we, we can, we can go ahead. All right. So after all that, shake you down right there on your own podcast. Trying to shake me down. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like, no, nope. But uh, yeah, how about you? I, uh, so it's funny. You talking about all that makes me think of like some specific incidents. I always say, if someone asks me what makes a bad interview, uh, I always say it's people that don't talk. And that drives yeah. me insane. I'll ask a question. And it, so if someone's never been interviewed, like it's just the weirdest situation. And I just really want to talk to them and they don't do podcasts. They don't do interviews. Then you get what you get, right? But when you're talking to yeah. a professional or someone who does this and, and you ask a question and they're like, yeah, no, that's not how it went. And then they stop talking or, you know, what made you do this? Well, you know, they give you a two sentence answer. All right. This is, this is going to be a long, hard podcast. I, <laughs> I hate that. That's the one thing. Yeah. Uh, the other, the other thing is though, you're right. Sometimes you'll interview people who want to talk about a specific thing. Authors are like that. It seems like because they're promoting they are. And, and specific content when they come on. So if you reach back and you're like, Hey, let's talk about this thing. You can always see them kind of bristle a little bit. Like I, <laughs> and you know, I've written a few books. I've had people do that to me where they want to reach back to a book I wrote five or six years ago. And they'll say, what about this thing you wrote? I don't even remember it. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I had to look at that. So I get it. But yeah, I think what makes it a person that I don't want to talk to again is just that they don't play along. Like if it, it, you know, they don't realize, I guess, that I am doing a podcast and need to record content. <laughs> and, right. And they, they treat it almost like they're doing me a favor. Like I, I just, I kind of don't want to talk to that person again. And I've only had a few of those. Honestly, 90% of the people I've talked to have been great. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to them. But every once in a while, you'll get someone. I interviewed a reporter. Man, it's been three or four months ago now. And it was kind of a favor to somebody. And she she's great. I've heard her stuff. I've read her stuff. I was happy to talk to her. But she was a terrible interview. Because if I tried to move you know, one degree off of what she talked about, she wasn't going to she wasn't going to answer. She wasn't going to talk about it. She had nothing to say. And wow. uh, it was really tough. So yeah, an interview should be a conversation. And I, I think that's where I have a hard time when it's not. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I would almost say, you know, you, you talk about if you go one degree off track, getting, getting called on it. I would almost say that's rude, uh, like a breach of etiquette. Like, yeah. like let, let me tell you kind of how I feel right now. I, I know, again, I know this isn't really an interview as such. It's more of a conversation, but I'm on your platform. You know, I sort of feel right now like a guest in your house, right? So, you know, I, I feel sort of obliged isn't quite the right word, but I, I feel prompted to, you know, give good, hearty, robust answers. To, uh, you know, to, to, to sort of match, to, to have it, what am I trying to say here? <laughs> to have it be digestible by the listener, right? Yeah. Because you're, you're, you're quite right. I mean, someone that, that just gives you a yes or a no, uh, is nothing anyone wants to listen to. And I, I, going back to like asking a question that's too long, I think there's part of that in it also. One of the reasons why I, I specifically make my questions maybe a teeny bit longer, but try and do it tastefully, you know, so. Is because in my view, I think that would then prompt the interviewee to sort of match that energy, right? If I spend a minute, minute and a half, which I've done queuing up a, a question and then they respond, it, 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 their brain typically, I don't think will, will say, Oh, th this is a yes or no. Well, no, it's not. I'm, <laughs> I'm prompting you for a story, right? Right. right. Yeah. When I was first starting out, Jeremy, I think, uh, you, you can probably appreciate this. I, I have my, my list of questions, which I still have, obviously. And I was, I would find myself getting trapped in what I call a checklist mentality. I've said this on a few, a few podcasts now, checklist mentality, which is, uh, you know, I have my, my questions for, for Jeremy and I'm going to ask the question. He's going to answer check, 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 yeah, yeah, check, yeah, yeah. check, yeah. which as I say it probably doesn't sound that bad. Well, it sounds like that just sounds like a, a day in the office for an interviewer, right? But the problem is, in my view, what's going to happen is it's going to make, the conversation feel cold, calculated. I would almost say performative, but there's an aspect of that already in an interview, right? And it also means that you won't be asking any follow-ups. So you won't, 
you won't get really at the meat of, of each question necessarily, right? So the, the lesson that I took away from, from that was if someone is a natural storyteller, let them tell their stories. <laughs> let, just let them talk. Don't, don't be afraid of like, of like stopping them, you know, midway to, cause you want to get to your next question because you have that checklist mentality, right? And the other thing I found is that when you let the storytellers tell their stories, in the course of doing so, they will almost invariably answer your questions. When I interviewed Gene Klein, the Holocaust survivor, that was exactly what that was. I had about maybe 15 questions. I asked one question, which I'm, I'm sure was, you know, what was your up? I think it was, uh, what was your upbringing like? And he talked, I'm not kidding, Jeremy. I think for the next 50 minutes, easy day at the office, right? And, but as he's talking, I'm just, I'm literally just checking off questions. Like, yep, he answered that one, answer that one. Yep. He, he did tell me what it was like on the trains, you know? So I think I might, might prompt you if that's all right. I'm curious if you empathize at all with the idea of trying to get out of a checklist mentality. Yeah, I have, uh, I feel like I've evolved in this area because early when I was doing interviews, it was very much, you know, question one, question two, question three. I want to get to yeah. question five because question five wraps it up and then I can go into the conclusion, right? And I even had it written out that way in my notes. So now I do my best to get to know as much about the person as I possibly can. And then I put questions down, but I view them now more as prompts for me. So I'll always start if, if they're new, you know, they haven't been on the show before. I'll, I'll say, Hey, just tell us about yourself. Tell us where you came from, whatever. I'll get into it that way and then go from there because you're right. A lot of people will say, well, I was born in, then I did this and now I'm here. So it's a really short kind of direct line, but some people will take 10 minutes, you know, building that story out. And so I don't want to get in the way of that. You're exactly right. So I have prompts that help me. So if they stop at a certain point, I can ask a follow-up question. I try to remain very open, just in my mind, listening to what they're saying, trying not to be distracted so that I can ask follow-up questions based on what they said. That checklist thing, it's really funny too or interesting. If you're interviewing someone who comes from a a news background, they live in the checklist mentality, right? Like Because (laughs) they have to hit the time hacks. They have to... They have to make all of that work. What's nice about podcasting is you don't have to. And even if, you know, one of these episodes went out on the radio, it has to hit a certain time. Well, we have a, you know, one of my shows, it does go out on the radio and we just have a, a thing at the end. Hey, for the rest of the conversation, go <laughs> check out the podcast, right? We can have a long form conversation. That's what makes podcasting so neat, which is a shame then when you get into that checklist mentality, but it's, man, it's, it's, it's really easy to fall into that, but it, totally. I think. I think in a way for what we do, it's also really lazy. It's, yeah, I've done my prep and I'm just asking you to come on and say what I want you to say and, and then work through that instead of like letting people talk and finding out these incredible things you never would have thought to ask that prompt 300 other questions. I've had a lot of conversations where I've ended with, man, it's time, but I've got 45 other questions. I'd like to have you come back on and talk about those. So. Yeah, you're exactly right, man. You got to you, you have to really fight against that that checklist. Uh, <laughs> I've got these questions. <laughs> you need to answer them, and then we're done. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. maturity, I think. I think it takes evolving. It takes maturity, and it takes confidence to know, like, I can take the training wheels off, and it's going to be okay. Exactly. It it does take confidence, and confidence comes with it, like you just said, just experience and just doing it. Like, like I said, I it literally was I about twenty interviews I did. With big people, Pulitzer Prize winners and, and so forth, uh, you know, before I really got, really got comfortable and really felt like an interviewer, felt like I could, that I was not controlling the conversation, but, you know, leading the conversation, right? So, yeah, yeah. So, I, I definitely understand that. I'd love to ask you, Jeremy, when you're prepping for an interview, you know, obviously, you, you'll go through the topics of what you want to discuss, right? The main overarching themes. I'm thinking specifically about people that you personally love and are fascinated with, fascinated by. Do you try to balance the things that you personally want to know and what the audience might want to know? Or do you just ask what you're curious about? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I try to, and I guess that's what I was saying in the beginning. I try to ask what I care about or what I'm curious about because I feel like if if I'm curious about it, particularly if I've listened to someone speak a lot or I've listened to their podcast or read their work or whatever, 
If I still have questions, then I assume that the people who are listening have the same questions. Yeah. And so I, it's good. I, I don't, I try to cater conversations to the audience in the sense that I want them to get something out of it. I'm not an entertainer in the sense that, Hey, I just want you to be happy and listen and then walk away and forget what we said. I want you to be able to walk away with something. Mm-hmm. So I cater my conversation in that sense. But when it comes to asking questions, if I'm curious, then I assume the people listening are also curious. And so I try to just focus on if it hits my brain, I'm like, wow, I've, I've never thought of that. Or I've always wanted to ask you this, or I saw this happening and heard your response. Why did you respond that way? <laughs> those are the questions I'm, I'm really comfortable asking. And, and I think, you know, getting back to the checklist thing, the way you get off of that is by being genuinely curious and asking questions that really matter to you. And that keeps you moving, keeps the conversation moving. Yeah, it keeps everything moving. And then, uh, like you say, you, you get to ask the question that if you want to know the answer, someone else probably does also. Like I had on uh, Spike Edney, who's a, a key, actually the keyboardist for Queen, if you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And he, he performed at Live Aid with, you know, the rest of Queen and yep. uh, yeah. told me some amazing stories, which I think I'll, I'll just um, beseech our listeners to check out the interview. Yep. Yep. But uh, I, I got to ask him, uh, one thing I, li- I like asking of interview interviewees is, you know, okay, so you did Live Aid, you, you know, you killed it, obviously. What'd you do after? Hmm. I don't know. I'm really interested in that because I feel like it humanizes them. Um, and as you, you can probably imagine, he told me that they went to a bar and got, you know, super drunk uh, with uh, a bunch of friends. And he's, yeah. you know, he's describing, you know, the people in the room. And it was a bunch of it, it was it was a, it was a good answer. But but yeah. Um, and when I interviewed Jim Lampley just last week, I asked him a similar question after the Gotti Ward fight. <laughs> you know, what what did you do after? And he told me and it was it was awesome so yeah being curious has got to be to me the most important part of what we do right just be curious if you had nothing else you didn't have research ability you didn't have a researcher's brain which i think is also important if you just had curiosity i bet you could make it yeah i think so i i have a couple answers on this one jeremy but what do you think is the most for you what do you think is the most underrated interview that you've ever done the one that you you did it and you were really proud of it and you still are proud of it but you're like huh didn't quite get picked up on by the the listener in the way that i might have wished yeah i i don't know i I don't have a specific answer to that but i will say it's always surprising to me which ones do get a response and which ones don't um Mm -hmm. one of the things that you know i think we had wanted to talk about was how do you title an episode and why is that important and it's interesting to me I used to lead with my titles, you know, the March or Die show with and give the guest name. And particularly if there was someone that had notoriety, I'd, I'd do my best to lead with that. What I have personally found is that the March or Die show, where do we find hope? <laughs> you know, or the March or Die show, uh, how do you persevere after loss? Those are the episodes that do really well because I think and this is a lesson I've been trying to learn and trying to understand. People can listen to an interview with a well-known personality with much better interviewers than me. They can, if they're just interested in the person, they can find out a lot of information about the person somewhere else. But if they know when they get to the other side of this conversation, they're going to walk away with something that's meaningful to them. Those are the ones that do really well. So I've been very surprised. I've had some, some guests on that I'm like, okay, I'm going to have them on and this episode's going to blow up and like nobody cares. And then I've had a conversation with someone no one's ever heard of or do a solo episode just talking about something that's important to me this week. And it connects with people and it gets passed around. And that's when I get emails and, you know, I love this episode. This is so helpful. Yeah. Um, so that has been, I think, one of the more surprising things to me about which episodes get traction and which ones don't. It, it really hasn't been about big guests. It's been about, you know, is there value in this? And people can figure that out. Yeah. Yeah, they absolutely can. And, uh, I have my answer. Uh, and yeah. then I'd love to chat about titles because that's, there's a huge art form there that I've only recently become, you know, yeah. more uh, cognizant of. I have a two part answer. Uh, I interviewed Martin Cooper, who is basically the inventor of the cell phone. 
Yeah, yeah, that was my reaction. Wow. Oh, holy crap. I'm, I'm going to get an interview with this guy. I'm gonna, and he made the first ever actual phone call on the public sidewalk. He called, uh, I think he was with Motorola and he called his counterpart at, I might get this wrong, but, uh, GE, I think to tell him, Hey, I'm calling you on the, to gloat basically. <laughs> and yeah, he told me how, um, you know, they, the, the day before he's doing it, you know, live on national television. They rented out the penthouse in the in the hotel that's normally reserved for Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, <laughs> and they they're up and at midnight, you know, up until midnight, you know, doing final checks and something broke, so they had to do, you know, and Ronald Wayne, who is the one of the co-founders of Apple, <laughs> mm. sold his equity in the company before it went public, and you know, he was also the person that created the first ever the first design for apple which if you if you were to google nothing i'm going to ask you to but if you were to google you know ronald wayne original apple logo looks absolutely nothing like it does now and both of them as you might imagine had amazing and interesting stories and you know if you'll allow me to say so i think high quality questions asked well in fact the reason it sticks out for me is actually both of them emailed me afterwards to compliment me on the quality of questions which is probably why it still you know stays with me but yeah, so those are probably two, and neither one are in my top 10 of like most downloaded. So yeah, they were definitely memorable. Uh, yeah, t- top 10 most downloaded, but they were certainly memorable for me. And I think, I, I, I think I would love to encourage our listeners to give it a, a second chance. <laughs> as far as episode titles, yeah, so like Spike Edney, right? If I say, I could say interview with Spike Edney and then that's it. Or what if I said, you know, Queen's keyboardist describes playing at Live Aid? Which one is going to seize your attention? With no, no contest, right? I will very rarely use the person's name in an interview, in an interview title. If it's someone who's really well known, like I interviewed, um, you, you might know the name Jordan Harbinger. Okay. I, well, I interviewed him last year about his experiences in North Korea. So the, you know, I, I think, I think the title I had was, you know, podcast star Jordan Harbinger describes his North Korea experience. So yeah, the, the, the importance of a title that accurately conveys, you know, the value in an episode. I just interviewed someone who was a Jonestown survivor. Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing, man. But the, you know, the, the name was less important than the fact he was a Jonestown survivor. So if I put interview with Eugene Smith, that won't mean anything to anybody. But if I put Jonestown survivor, it's the, Far and away, I think the fastest episode I've done, I've, I've done to, uh, get to a thousand first. It got to a thousand within like, like four days. <laughs> so yeah, sorry, sorry for the long winded answer there, Jeremy, but, um, I, I have, uh, I've gone, so I went from like trying to be clever with my titles to just saying exactly <laughs> what it is. And if I use a name, I, I've flipped this. If I use a name because I think there is some notoriety or it's, it's searchable, I'll, I'll put it at the end, not at the beginning. I used to say, you know, I don't know who a good example is, but, um, March or Die, Josh Cohen on why, whatever, whatever. Now I start off with the why, whatever, whatever with, you know, with Joshua Cohen. And <laughs> it's funny because I think we are in a space where there's so much, I'm not, I'm not competing against anyone, but there's a lot of competition. There are a lot of people who are vying for our attention and yeah. people are going to listen to something that's meaningful to them and starting off with that. Yeah, that's been very, very helpful for me. And I've had people even comment on that. Like, <laughs> I went back and retitled a lot of my episodes. I really appreciate the way I you have your episodes because I know exactly what I'm getting into when I when I start listening. And it's, it's the silliest thing, right? It seems like that would be intuitive, but we're not very smart people, I guess, sometimes. No, when also that there was a bad habit with um, when podcasting first started, you know, Adam Curry, who I actually have interviewed, um, you know, Adam Carolla, Joe Rogan and so forth, Lex Fridman. All of them will have like, you know, number 101, you know, interview with. Yeah. And I'll, I'll come up against someone that will say, well, you know, Joe Rogan does it. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> Joe Rogan's backed with tens of millions of dollars of, of yeah, Rogan he can get away with it. I mean, and he's yeah, Joe Rogan. Right. <laughs> yeah. Lex Fridman does it. Lex is Lex, you know, uh, that's not that entered this space early before most people did. And so yeah. they built this audience that's going to listen to whatever they produce. And I, but but even if you go back now and look at those guys, because I get the same thing, like, well, they do this or they did that. Even those guys have changed the way they do a lot. And I think 
you know, competition has driven that. Now you can find out yeah. not only who they interviewed, but what the interview is about. There's always a summary. And so things mm-hmm. have changed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a weird, that's a weird thing. I get that pushback <laughs> all the time. Like, well, they do it that way. Okay. Yeah. I'm not them. You're not them. like, let's, let's not try to do that. <laughs> let's not try to do that. Yeah. So we talked about, you know, underrated and this might be the, maybe it's a similar answer, but I'd love to ask you, Jeremy, is there a particular interview that you're especially proud of? Oh man, I, I don't know that there's one I'm especially proud of. I mean, there are interviews I come away from that I'm really happy to have done. It's funny and, and some come to mind and it, it is funny when an interview is done, I will feel a certain way about it. I'm sure that you will too. Yeah. I, I have a short memory, so I forget <laughs> what that felt like. It's a high for a couple days. You, right. Yeah. But yeah. these interviews, right. It ends and I'm like, wow. Like, I feel like I'm a better person because of that one. I feel like, like that was a better, like I'm, I'm better for that. And I hope the audience will be too. I always think like most recent, but the interview I just did with the sheriff, I walked away from that one like, like that was really helpful for me. I like, mm-hmm. I really learned a lot. There's a, a guest I interviewed not too long ago named Christopher Nwan. He's, uh, he's got this incredible life and, and uh, I'd encourage anyone to go listen to the episode, but my podcast is kind of faith focused. So he yeah. talked a lot about his faith in spite of being a drug dealer and ending up in prison and, and his journey and what that's meant and his family and, and, and he was so authentic about all of it and some of his personal struggles that I just, I walked away from that going like, I, I'm a better person for having had that conversation. Even if, even if it wasn't a podcast, I feel better as a human being for having sat down and talked to that person. Those are the ones that really are meaningful to me when it's, it's more than just we needed content this week. It, it's, it wouldn't matter to me who had that interview. I would want to sit down and listen to it. I interviewed, I had the privilege of interviewing Nick Vujicic, uh, a lot of people would. Know yes. Name. Yeah. He doesn't have arms. He doesn't have legs. And so mm-hmm. he has this, but he has this, this huge ministry, but he talks on things like bullying and uh, persevering, obviously huge personality. And I had the opportunity to go and sit actually in his studio and interview him there in Texas. Same thing. I walked away from that one going, I'm a better person for having had that conversation. And it was a great interview, but he, he's going to have a great interview. He talked about even attempting suicide as a child and just the crazy stuff in his life. And, but the hope wrapped up in that. Those are super meaningful interviews to me where I walk away and go, wow, that was great. And if I hadn't been the one interviewing, I would have sat down and listened to it and still been. That's awesome, man. I, uh, yeah, gosh, I, my, I suppose motives are slightly less high minded. You're, you're clearly a better person than me. You, you mine, you know, value lessons and so forth. Focus, just a different focus. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, I tend to have one or both of of these com- coming into and certainly coming out of interviews. One is the level of social is social service the right word? Social contribution that I that I can do. All right. So when I interview the Holocaust survivor or the World War II veteran or the 9-11 first responder. Or Frank DeAngelis, we talked about in our last interview about the, the former principal of Columbine. I feel a real sense of, I suppose, duty and, and honor in doing it because I'm presenting stories that may or may not be presented uh, other words, right? Yep. I've interviewed a lot. I've interviewed, I think, like seven 9-11 first responders at this point. John Feel, who maybe you'll be familiar with of the Feel Good Foundation in, in any event. So that's the first part where, where I, I felt like I've really... You know, granted, I'll be useless in a zombie apocalypse, <laughs> but uh, I, but I, I do think there's there's some social utility in being able to showcase and present high quality stories like that. Yeah, and then the second would be pure ego, <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that. Like I interviewed, I don't know if you have seen the movie October Sky. I, I'm familiar with it. I haven't watched it, but I'm familiar with the movie. Yeah, gotcha. Well, I, I interviewed Homer Hickam, who's the the NASA engineer that Jake Gyllenhaal plays in the movie and uh that was one of my favorite movies growing up and I was really stoked to just be interviewing him because I'm like wow I got it I got to interview Homer Hickam and uh and that was the one I'm, I'm sure you've had this where like I was on a high for like three or four days afterwards like like holy crap I interviewed yeah. Homer Hickam and same with Jim Lampley uh, I asked him my my question about his upbringing and as he's answering I'm literally just like looking at his screen on a zoom 
And, and I'm like, I'm freaking talking with Jim Lampley. He could be anywhere else in the world right now, but he's here on the Zoom call talking with, with Josh, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's either social utility and the extents that I can reach with it or just pure ego. Do you empathize with that at all? Yeah, for sure. I, there are definitely moments where it's almost surreal, right? Where you're like, man, they're, they're actually talking to me right now. And particularly people who are good at it, because I know in my mind, they've got a thousand other things happening and they're going to move on and not remember they had this conversation. Right. But, but people who are good at it, they make you feel like you're the only person that they care about at that moment. And they're so engaged with the conversation that, yeah, you feel like, man, I, I really wish I could be friends with them. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. It, it does. It makes you, it makes you feel good just having had that conversation. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty neat thing. I had someone the other day tell me, and I don't think about this a lot, but tell me or say something like this. It must be, must be fun to do what you do because you just get to have these great conversations with these great people all the time. And, you know, I think you lose that over time because, you know, the grind of like continuing to yeah. produce episodes, but you need to stop once in a while and remember like, this is a really cool thing we get to do. We get to talk to some really neat people. And ask some good questions, and yeah, it's a it's a super cool thing, and it's a lot. Of it's fun. a ble- it's a blessing for sure, man. I'll, I I share with you on that to the nth degree. It's so easy to to feel like bogged down, and you're in the grind, and you're and you know at the end of the day, I'm like, look, you and I, you know, I, I'm not I'm not mining coal, <laughs> right? I'm not right. I'm not doing. I, I'm not a medic in a war zone, <laughs> you know. I'm I'm in my I'm in my bedroom asking questions to amazing amazing people. Yeah. You know, if I rattle my brain, I could think of worse places to be. That's awesome. <laughs> talk about uh, talk about your podcasts and and where people can uh, people can listen from. Yeah, so the podcast, thank you, Jeremy, is called uh, Eyewitness History, and on it, I interview people that were eyewitnesses to historical events, both serious like 9/11 and World War II, um, and then also what I might call. Uh, pop culture history, Saturday Night Live writers, for instance, or indeed boxing announcers. And uh, that podcast again is called Eyewitness History. You can listen to it on the podcast player of your choice, specifically Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can also go to ParthenonPodcast.com, which is the housing website for my podcast and my fellow Parthenon Podcast podcasters, which is, if I may, real quick, History Unplugged with Dr. Scott Rank, This American President with Richard Lim, a History of the Papacy of Steve Guerra and Key Battles of American History by James Early. Oh, and we added uh, just a, a two more, The History of North America with Mark Finette and Vlogging Through History with Chris Mowry. Appreciate you listening to the episode today. And again, I know that was a little bit different than we typically do on this podcast, but I love having these conversations. And uh, man, it's important for me, at least. <laughs> Maybe it's not important for you, but it's important for me to step back once in a while and ask the question, why do we do that? Why is that important? Why does that matter? Uh, why are we invested in this thing the way that we are invested? And and podcasting is such a weird format, and it's, it's kind of a weird medium. But to me, it is very important. It's important because we're able to communicate ideas and concepts and principles and tell stories that can be a help to me, that can be a help to you, and and really collectively can encourage all of us to move forward in a good way. And uh, I hope that's a help to you today. Just have that conversation and hopefully you found that interesting. You can find uh, Josh's podcast. He he mentioned this on Parthenon, the Parthenon Podcast Network. Uh, All of that is in the Salem Podcast Network. My show, also part of Salem Podcast Network, is found on Life Audio, lifeaudio.com. Some other great content there as well. So good people doing good work, having great conversations. And I would encourage you to go and check that out. If you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please do that. Go to jeremystalnicker.com, jeremystalnicker.com. You can find out uh, more about me. All of my connections are there as well. And I'd love to connect with you there. Again, thank you for listening. We look forward to talking to you next time. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. 
Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. It's a crazy world out there, moms and dads. I'm Katherine Seegers, host of Christian Parent Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. Subscribe at LifeAudio.com.